Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. We are going to talk about the DC Comics released on the 30th of January 2019. But first, we're going to talk about a little bit of news. So, uh, at last week after we recorded, DC announced a minor restructuring of their corporation. Um, 3% of its workplace, which I believe worked after 27 employees, were let go. Um, sort of the, the two that everyone are talking about are Mark Chiarello, who is an art director and editor, and John Cunningham. Cunningham, who was a vice president of, I believe, sales. Um, Vince, you have the most up-to-date information about this. Can you give us sort of a, a uh, Cliff's Notes version of what happened at DC last week? Yeah, well, I guess um, I, I guess there were kind of murmurs throughout the company that there was some restructuring happening. People were going to be let go, as you said. and um, And what it ended up amounting to aside from the specific layoffs that you've talked about, um, is that apparently the restructuring is meant to put the focus more on publishing again uh, at DC. And and what that means is that um, DC Entertainment uh, is kind of going to be less involved in the comic booking side of things and vice versa, I guess they're going to focus is there still less on their multimedia. Well, I don't think there's anything by that name, but of course there's still, there's still movies and TV shit, so, right? So Warner like, brothers, it will, will be handling that more than DC will be handling that. Exactly. So I, I'm, I'm guessing, and it's in all of this, it's funny. Jeff Johns is kind of the bridge there. Right. And, and nobody's talked about him in all of well, this. Because he sort of stepped down from that. Remember, like his, you know, back when he announced the Killing Zone, part of that was that he was stepping back from his corporate responsibilities to write comics and to be involved in the filmmaking side, but not to be on the like on the on the editorial slash uh, corporate side of that anymore. Yeah, it it makes me wonder if there was some wind of this even back then. Right. Like, Hey, we don't, we're, we're going to be cutting back and we don't have the money for a job like that, you know, for, for a position like this for you and to do the, you know what I mean? Like what was, was that restructuring of John's job uh, factored into this at all or, or a similar set of concerns, you know? Um, anyway, what it, what it results in is DC Comics is DC Comics, and they're plan- planning on refocusing their efforts on publishing like physical comics. Apparently, they're even dialing back, if I'm reading this correctly, apparently they're even dialing back digital efforts. And I don't know if that means... I mean, obviously, there's going they're going to be... Uh, having their digital digital versions of their weekly comics still available in some form. But I wonder if that means less original material uh, in the digital realm. Does that make sense? Um, we, we commented, I think, that uh, that DC Primal Age is something that 
uh, would have been it would have been a digital first comic in years past, and instead it was a a, a hundred page target comic, right? I wonder if that's not a prelude of what we can expect to see more of, you know? Um, like, well, I mean, the next point I was going to make is that apparently DC Comics would like to publish around 90, uh, like, new physical floppy comics a month. Whereas I think in years past, they've been more around, like, 75-ish per month. And so part of me thinks that that definitely includes things like the Walmart and the Target comics. And so I wonder if, you know, original content on the digital realm is something that's going to shift over to these, like, retailer-exclusive comics. Does that make sense? I'm just thinking about... I'm spitballing on that one as we speak. Um, But anyway... Oh, go, go well, for it, Brian. Say, uh, to me, that there are two parts of this that are really weird timing-wise. The first is that we're getting this announcement just a few months into the DC Universe <laughs> Online app, which is essentially a digital comics platform, and it's the only place that we've seen a DC um, digital first series announced in quite some time, which is that Young Justice Outsider series that's happening through there. Um, mm. So it's odd to me that they're going to pull back on digital stuff when they just put forth like their best, the best way for them to handle digital comics for a while. The other part of it is that it appears that of all of the DC extended universe films, aside from Green Lantern, the 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 fabled Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern film. It seems like Aquaman is the is the one that had the most direct DC involvement because of John's essentially writing the screenplay for it. And that was a huge success. So all of this seems like a really odd time. Like if you're cutting back on digital and multimedia stuff, and yet Young Justice Outsiders, the comic is well received. Young Justice Outsiders, the series on the DC Universe app is well-received. Aquaman is really well-received. Isn't that an odd time to pull back this stuff? It makes me think that... It it makes me think that it's more about what we were talking about last week, where where we were talking about market share and how DC has this number that they want to hit. And... Um, all of these, all of these successes that you're talking about, Brian, don't factor into that at all. And so, in order to to hit these numbers that they need in the publishing realm, it would seem to me that one way to accomplish that, and I don't, I'm not saying this is good. I'm not saying this is like a good approach or an approach that's going to result in quality comics. But don't you think that like if you're talking about pure market share, not necessarily profits? That one way of approaching that would be flooding the, the the physical market with even more product, <laughs> even though they can't, even though they can't sell to their satisfaction all the product that they put out right now. Um, you know, if they're putting out ninety comics a month, it's going to sure look in the end as if they were selling 
you know, as much as Marvel or, or at least enough to hit their numbers, right? Another thing is that maybe on the profit side of things, yeah, they're having all this success that you're talking about, but but some of these positions, maybe they're finding places that they think that they can downsize by laying off a John Cunningham. And again, I'm not, it's, it's regrettable that there are layoffs happening. Um, I'm not saying it's the right or the good thing to do, but maybe these are places where they can see themselves saving money if they if they get back to the meat and potatoes of just publishing mostly physical product and put Bob Harris and Dan DiDio and Jim Lee in charge of all of that stuff. Um, does that make any sense? Sure. Zach, I really want to hear what you have to say about this. I... I really there was one thing I did want to pop in and say when you were talking about the digital stuff this this really maybe isn't that tied to their overall strategy strategy or anything but I do think it's interesting um, that uh, either I think it was last week or the week before uh, we didn't mention it but um, Comixology Unlimited uh, added DC books for the first time yes. mm. they were like the last big and a fair out. amount of them too right yeah yeah which um you know dc hasn't really used the dc universe app in the way that marvel unlimited has but um like the the amount of marvel stuff showing up on comicsology unlimited has been pretty sizable like not rivaling marvel unlimited but quite a bit um and this is like dc's first foray into that kind of all you can eat buffet style comic stuff um I, I would argue that i mean it's been a minute since i've looked at dc universe app but i i think that there's probably more dc content in comicsology unlimited than there is in the dcu app that's that's crazy. that's wild yeah. um i wonder if this is about like so so vince your, your comment about market share got me thinking right so if if it's just a matter of winning the market share game then then they really need to just publish 90 comics of anything right because like you said i think that the the baseline dc comic by the way it sounds like we're all doing cocaine tonight all three of us are sniffling i I don't know i sneezed like i'm Uh, ready to go um, Um, yeah like so if if they're just concerned about market share then publishing any, even the worst-selling DC book, if it has a superhero in it, is going to sell fifteen or sixteen thousand copies. Maybe or, okay, at least ten thousand copies. We should, should say that. Pro- probably, okay. but you got to wonder if there's like a cap well, on that. But what you I know, was like... say was like you know, so so if the goal is just market share, then you can take your chances on doing like a booster gold comic that you know won't that might start off a little bit hot but will drop pretty quickly. But if they're trying to do both market share and be as profitable as possible, we might be looking at another period of like weekly bat books. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's stuff that will both sell well and come out all the time. Yeah, that's a good that's a good and point. So I don't know what DC essentially wants to get out of this 
in terms of the type of content it's publishing. Because I think that there's something to be said for a mixture of both. Like I, I think that it's really fascinating when you look at what are the last books standing from a double shipping um, standpoint. It's pretty much mm-hmm. Batman and Detective, Wonder Woman, The Flash, and Justice League, right? Is that it now? That sounds right. It seems to me a little yeah. crazy that there's not... And I understand, like, right now Grant Morrison is doing the Green Lantern, so you're not going to have him double ship. But it's crazy to me there's not a second Lantern book in the way that there's two Superman books, you know, so that mm-hmm. it, it's essentially... You can, you can look at it as double shipping. It's sort of insane that, uh, you know, for as popular as Teen Titans are as a property... If there's not the Teen Titans isn't double shipping. Like if you would think if they're worried about just publishing more floppies, that's the easiest way to go about it. Well, and that might be coming. The 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 thing that I kind of wanted to end on here is the idea that the so this memo was sent out through the company kind of detailing their intentions with this, but of course there were no specifics in it. Do you guys think that we're going to see any specifics as in like, all right, this is our new publishing initiative. This is our new wave of books. Oh, shit, look, there's 90 of them a month. Or do you think this is going to be a thing that's largely just their publishing line is added to slowly month by month? They don't make a big deal out of it. It's just something that happens. And all of a sudden, you know, a few months down the road, there's 90 books being published a month. And it doesn't come with any fanfare or do you think that this is the thing like when the next relaunch happens, whenever it is after heroes in crisis, after doomsday clock, what have you, do you think that's when they say, boom, we're flooding the market with our new publishing initiative now? Zach, what do you think? I mean, that would be a good time to do it, I guess. But when... It would also call like every, a lot of attention to it, right? Yeah. Like, well, I feel like and all of DC's relaunches are typically about narrowing their publishing. And refocusing. Yeah, refocusing. It's never about, like, like the New 52, DCU, Rebirth, were all about trimming the fat and kind of getting at 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 least like a a manageable line Mm -hmm. um so i i have an interesting thing to add in here uh so i was i interviewed scott snyder and james tynan last week about justice league annual which we'll get to in a bit and snyder like reiterated how this is a big piece of a large meta story that's going on across all of the Justice League books and into various parts of the DC Universe. And he said that they are currently, like, breaking story for the first quarter of 2021. Which is insane, <laughs> right? Um, but, yeah. he, but, but the reason I bring that up is I don't think that... Remember when he spoiled Batman for us like six months in advance? Yeah, that wasn't on the podcast, but yes, that did happen. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah, uh, I know. That did happen. But he, and he didn't mention like what they were doing, but he just said like, you know, this is this huge story. 
and that they're really committed to telling this huge story. And I don't know how you can... I mean, I guess Marvel does it all the time. Like, it would just be weird to me to have Justice League relaunch in the middle of that big story. But I guess mm-hmm. Marvel does it all. I mean, yeah. we talked about this off-air last time about the about uh, Jason Aaron's Thor run, how there's, like, five number mm-hmm. ones within that Thor run, right? So it is possible. But I don't think we're going to see... like. I guess to, to, to answer your question by not really answering it, Vince, I feel like we're not going to see an in-universe reason for all these new books. Like, you know, both the New 52 and Rebirth, there were in-story reasons why those things were happening. Right? Flashpoint uh-huh. and then um, Wally West's return and all of that sort of stuff. I don't think that we're going to see anything like that happen with this. But I do think we're going to see some sort of recommitment to comics publicly. Like, you know, I suppose that's what this is about. But I think we're going to see at some point DC, like DC say that essentially, that we're recommitting to these types of stories. And I think that that's the way that they pitch things double shipping more. Like, you want more comics, and so we're giving you more comics. Man, I, I can I can almost hear that in Dan DiDio's voice. Look, you want more comics? We give you more comics. <laughs> 52? Spend, fuck that. 104. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> new 52 done 208. right. 208. The new 208. <laughs> Just keep going on multiples of. I just want to see how many months. Every week, you get 104 comics. 416 a month. Everybody wins. That said, that, that said, Dick Grayson is dead, and he's not coming back. We're getting the entire Tom King Batman run in yeah. one week. <laughs> Next week, we get his Superman, 105 issues. Next week, oh. his Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy! Um, but no. Well, I think I can speak for all of us when I say, no matter what happens, we'll all be here to scoop up all the garbage into our big bellies. And <laughs> oh man, I made a joke about all the books. I can't wait to murk. <laughs> Regular, regular Ben Deathstroke Affleck. Yeah, over here. Uh, Batman, very Superman. (laughs) (laughs) They're gonna they're gonna do Batman Eternal three, and it's gonna be it's gonna be four books a week weekly. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man, that was basically No Man's Land. I'm finding. I'm in no man's land right now, and first of all, they skirt so close to my communist Gotham <laughs> dream in that, and then uh, and yeah, there's 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 a hundred issues in that thing. How how long was it published for? Like, what was the time span? That I don't know. I'll let you know when I'm done. I it was like it began 
one month in 1999 and it ended in 2000, but I can't tell so you if it's like... So it 100 issues in, in less than 13 months. Yeah. According, according to Wikipedia, it ran for almost all of 1999. So Wikipedia says January to December of 1999. Wow. And no, no, nothing in 2000? It, yeah, that's what it says. I wonder if it might be that the you know how on the on the cover of the issue it says like two thousand really it came out months earlier yeah right yeah it looks like no man's land number one which I don't know if that's what you're counting as the starting point or if you're doing any like prelude stuff there was a twelve issue prelude to no man's land that I'm counting in that okay Batman no man's land number one was cover dated March nineteen ninety nine. Okay. Apparently. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, people tune into this podcast to hear about new comics. So let's let's get to. The- <laughs> I don't know. They, I don't know why they tune into this podcast. Really, I mean, it's for your I, dulcet tones, baby. <laughs> yeah. But let's but let's get into it. Let's get into Action Comics number one thousand seven, written by our boy Brian Michael Bendis. Illustrated by Steve Epting. Nice to see Epting on a DC book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When didn't he start off on Batwoman? No, that was um I think it was Epting. Yeah, I think he did do a couple issues of Batwoman. Um but I had forgotten he was back at DC. And then saw this was like, oh that's nice. Um so this issue is basically Jimmy Olsen is sleeping with someone from a cult. <laughs> as uh, you do. Yeah, as, as, as that old chestnut we can all relate to. Um, that happened to Jerry Seinfeld. What? Um, that was the world's worst Jerry Seinfeld impression. <laughs> this is all right. Uh, what would you guys think of this issue? Zach, you go first. I'm, I'm hogging the mic. Oh, I I liked this. I thought this was really fun, especially with Jimmy at the beginning. Um, I I like how Bendis writes Jimmy. I like how he writes Perry White. I I like how he handles the whole uh, Daily Planet stuff. Um, the bit with Lois and her dad was weird. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that in a bit. Um, but the ending was great. I thought the the ending, yeah, the ending I, of the uh, issue or of the Lois and her dad thing. No, the the like last bit of the issue. I guess if you like broke it up in, into the three parts, you have the the Jimmy stuff. You've got Lois and her dad, and then you've got Superman and Atlanta saving Amanda Waller. Well, let's talk about that first part. Um, first off, I love the way that. I love the aesthetics of this issue. Um, I love the way that Epting draws Jimmy Jimmy Olsen. He kind of looks like like he looks like an Archie comics. Yes, he looks like Archie. I was, I was just going to say Archie, that he looks like Archie Archie Andrews. Yeah, yeah, which he should. He should be like like that's he, Jimmy Olsen should be a character who always looks like he's a little bit out of time, like wearing a bow tie. 
slicking his hair back with pomade, you know, he's slightly nerdy. Yeah, he's a de- yeah. I don't want your goddamn fop. <laughs> um, I think the I love the comedic beat where they're walking into the <laughs> where they're walking into the the Cobra Club and uh, she says you stay with you stay with this to the end and I promise I'll make it worth your while. Which <laughs> we all know what that means. Um, Milkshakes afterwards. <laughs> that's exactly it. Yep, she's gonna show uh, him her stamp collection. Um, and I, but I love, I love how like you see Jimmy looking over her shoulder, and you get his reaction before you see what it is. <laughs> he's like yeah. shit, and he's like rolling his eyes. Just a great, like, like what have I gotten myself into? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you can almost hear the. The like sound effect in the background that's like Yep. And then the the title card, Leviathan Rises Part One, that looks great. That lettering, it's like the it's like old Johnny Quest lettering or something. Um just really great aesthetics in this part. Um super well paced. I loved it, um, and then yeah, back at the da- back at the Daily Planet. My point is, I kissed a lizard yep, person. That was great. <laughs> that was really good. Yeah, which is some straight Infowars yeah. shit. Uh, <laughs> um, why don't you guys talk about uh, talk about the the Lois and her dad part? Um, sounded like Zach, you had some more stuff to say about that. It just comes at a weird time. I feel like like I'm I'm very okay with it happening. It it seems like just something that Bendis really wanted to do, and um, just like well, now's a now's as good a time as any. Well, surely like Sam Lane is going to get involved in this whole Cobra. Th- it's going to come back around. He and is, so and so he he is a lizard person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because yeah. I think that was a that was a bit with Jimmy's. Like, I I think I think I can trust Perry. But yeah, I'm yeah, 99 percent sure he's not a yeah. lizard person. Um, so <laughs> he's red pilled. <laughs> you know, the uh, Lois telling her dad Superman's identity is a really interesting character beat for Lois to explore. I understand the idea of. Bendis wanting to give her, I guess, more of a connection to her family. And, you know, her father makes the most sense for that. Um, I also think that I like, when I saw her starting this, I half expected him to be like, of course. Like, you know, and to have already figured out, figured out because he's obviously a very well-connected in the military guy and a very smart man. Um, but he doesn't know, and he's he's shocked by it. And I wonder if this is going to be a situation where... I think it, it wasn't that long ago that Superman's identity was public, right? Wasn't that the Greg Pak pre-rebirth story? Yeah, yeah, man, but then I forgot about that. But then wasn't there like a a hand wavy moment where they? 
I forget which storyline it was in, but wasn't there like a, a wave of the hand where like all of a sudden everyone forgot yes, again? Yes, there was. But what I was going to say is I feel like they're not going to go with a Superman's identity becomes public story right now because it's been – because we've we had that in the relatively recent past. So I feel like yeah. the thought of like Sam Lane going public with this isn't going to happen. Right. Uh, so where do you guys see this story going then? Well, don't you think that I, I think maybe the maybe the turn is going to be that he's not really disgusted with the idea of Lois um, being with Superman romantically, other than he's got all the same questions that Brody would have. Like, did, would he have to wear a kryptonite condom? Well, he, to he, he knows that he he knows that uh, you know that her uterus could carry his supersede because she did already. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right, but like, but like, he's probably thinking, like, did he wear a kryptonite condom during that? No, he wouldn't. That would kill him. Uh, <laughs> this podcast sponsored thinking... by Jay and Silent Bob Secret Stash, right back to New Jersey. <laughs> Come by for all your overpriced uh, back issues and uh, Blood Manor Chronic memorabilia. <laughs> oh God, did you guys see that? Like uh, that really desperate plea for crowdfunding for. <laughs> The new Jay and Silent Bob movie. I just, I just sad. saw the, I just saw the image. It did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Poor, I have uh, been the Jay and Bob secret stash more than once. Yeah, yeah? Did they offer you any chocolate covered pretzels no, while you were there. Not, and even if they did, I'm on to them. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's a very overpriced comic book store. Ah, uh, um, they gotta find that that yeah, sequel exactly. somehow. That prequel that dozens of people were asking for. Or reboot, rather, <laughs> not prequel. Reboot. Reboot, yeah. Um, so, I, mean, I, I in, all, in all honesty, do you guys think this is going to be a major part of Bendis' Superman story for, now, for a while? Or is this just a, a, a fun Lois character beat? I feel like he... I feel like Bendis is not doing anything unintentionally right now or, or or without reason um i i definitely feel like this will be a thing part part of me can see a, a reveal in the next issue or or two of like sam lane working with cobra or he's a member of cobra he's a lizard person or something like that. yeah yeah i mean could it could happen so let's talk all this talk about Cobra, this arc is like Rise of Leviathan. We've also, there's a tagline about the DEO at the end. Amanda Waller is involved. Um, someone else has been, Spiral has been mentioned in like interviews. Checkmate as well. Um, obviously, like Leviathan is getting like the star billing here, but do you think we're going to get like a big war between all of the different, like, clandestine organizations in the DCU? Do you think that's what is going here? It would not surprise me if there was an event that had like tie-in issues where like one one tie-in miniseries is Spiral, one tie-in miniseries is Checkmate. You know what I mean? What if we get a new Checkmate series out of this? I was just gonna say, Written by Greg Rucka. I was going to say, it's been a minute since Checkmate's been anything in the DC Universe. It's always vaguely hinted right. at, yeah. you know? 
Uh, but to answer your question, Zach, I think that's exactly what we're going to get. And I think that a really easy way to get to 90 floppies a month would be to do a, uh, a mini-series or one-shot for all these different organizations. But I don't think we're going to get that this time. I think right now they're letting Bendis just kind of do what he wants to. And I, I don't think he's looking to do a million tie-ins right now. To me, it'd be great if 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 they just let him do these these big important arcs, but in the scope of just one series. You know, is this across action and Superman, or just action? I think it's just action because maybe like once it gets going for real, I mean, this, this but was not a Superman is like this was not a prelude. This was part one. Well, it's like part one of the rise of Leviathan, and isn't that? Yeah, it's this. This is not going to be the totality of the Leviathan event, I don't think. Yeah, because this like, is just he, an arc called Leviathan Rising. Yeah, Leviathan Rising. Yeah, because he's also like in an interview recently mentioned that like Alex Maleev is going to be really involved with whatever okay. this is. Um, because I think I actually saw that like a lot of their creator-owned stuff is going on hiatus. Like Scarlet is on a break because Maleev is going to be working on stuff. Um, but I was going to say, uh, like, up through the most recent solicits, I think the Unity Saga arc is still going in Superman. Mm-hmm. So that seems like a year-long story. I feel like maybe we really won't get the build-up, like, the real meat of this until, like, year two of the Superman books gets going. Yeah. It's a pretty slow burn. I'm fine I'm totally with that. Fine with it. I think. Uh, what do you guys think about the Amanda Waller bit? My letter was fine. I like the yeah. art of him flying. I I always love when the Bendis seems to write that in a lot. I, I have to f- feel like that's not like that is a direction from Bendis because he's done it with several different artists now. The like hands and then the super speed and then the slowing down. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's very fun, yeah. It, it, it's a way to show Superman flying fast that I feel like we haven't really seen that many times before. Mm-hmm. It's good. I also liked her surprise of saying, like, huh, I, I called you. You actually came. Oh, my goodness. That was so <laughs> <laughs> I love the scene of, of him, like, carrying the people down from the building, like, on the bed and, like, just on his shoulder. Yeah classic yeah th- this is good guys it's it's good it's good again yeah yeah this this is nice it feels um it feels so different than superman but they also you know exist very comfortably in the same like it feel it feels like they go together like wop bop a loop bop wop bam boom. Yeah. Just like that. <laughs> a little grease humor for you uh for you broly motherfuckers out there. I'm more of a cats guy. <laughs> I'm actually a neither guy. I'm uh <laughs> I'm a Steven Sondheim guy. Because I'm a pretentious ah. bag. Um oh. that no, I, I I mean both those things. I do like Steven Sondheim and, and I'm a pretentious douchebag. Um <laughs> Let's talk about Heroes of Crisis number five. 
featuring a Jurgenzing Superman on the cover, pointing <laughs> right at us. Heroes in diapers by Tom King, illustrated by Clayman. Um. So, go off, Kings. What was that? So you know, you know how uh, in the future you can determine how old someone is by the half life of their RNA. Sure. Yeah. You can't. You can't do that. <laughs> What's well, the future, Zach? As far as I know, and I did a, I tried to do a lot of reading just to make sure that I don't think that that's possible. Unless he means something other than what he's saying, I don't think that that's possible. And I get it. I'm being pedantic about science things again. But yeah. How many, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're telling someone that the Earth can't revolve around the sun right now. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. So <clears throat> there, there was that. I will say um, I think this is the best issue so far, but that is saying very little. You want to know my big problem with this issue? Girl scene. No, not that. Uh, but we can we can talk. I don't know specifically which one you mean, but my thing is. Superman gives this big long speech that runs through the, almost the whole issue. That is like he's explaining why there's a need for sanctuary, but not at all talking about like addressing the fact that like dozens of people were murdered there. He's like, you were upset that heroes need a place to rest. Well, shame on you. Now I'm going to walk away and we're not going to talk about the fact that several people have been murdered. That's, that's almost like promising a series about how heroes deal with trauma and then having it just a gore fuck fest. Yeah. <laughs> Vince? Well, I think I liked this more than you guys. <laughs> I mean, I said, it was, I said it was the best issue. I yes, said, I agree with that. Yep, yep, I agree, I agree with that, and I think, like, now I'm only saying this because uh, we get flack for being mean to Tom King, and so I'm changing my opinion on him um, to please our listeners. Um, so, no, I'm I'm not, but I'm being Don't honest. do that, because the last page ended, the last page, <laughs> my goodness, why? Okay, okay, okay. No, I'm I'm not serious about changing my opinion on Tom King, but I am serious that that I think this is the best issue of Heroes in Crisis. I think there are problems with it. Um, I think I gave it like a five or a six out of ten in our I little thing. And I'm okay, yeah. And I'm only saying that to like calibrate like how I feel about this, you know. But but I think what what I because I think that in comic books you honestly can forgive. I did this with Mr. Miracle. There were things that I found annoying about that series, but on the whole, because I, it maintained my interest and it had a lot more going for it than like Tom King's Batman, I could look past some of those annoying things. And I feel like with this issue, um, forgetting that the last issue was like one of the worst things I've ever read to honestly, um, if the entire series were were of the same sort of tone and tenor 
and pacing and kind of concept as this issue, I, I think we'd have... I think we'd have an event that was more good than bad. But I think because what came before was so wretched, it, this isn't going to save it at this point. I mean, we'll see. But, like, honestly, Zach, the thing you said about the RNA, that's the kind of thing that, like, in an otherwise good story, you could easily overlook. Grant Morrison has probably done, like, the half-life of RNA thing a dozen times in his career, right? No, but- Grant Morrison researches <laughs> things. <laughs> No, but you know what I mean? Like like saying something ridiculous in science fiction that you just have to kind of blow past, you know. I may be wrong about it. He may have done his research and it may be, but I... I it's been so long since biochemistry. Yeah, I haven't taken biochemistry in a decade now, so uh, I can't help you there. But, but, but you know, I, what I think that is, in the context of this issue alone is a pretty fun and admittedly stupid solution to the mystery, yes. right? Like, oh, is is Wally West really dead? Ah, I figured it out. This body is five days older than it should be or whatever. That's you know what I mean? Like That's fine. That is a fun it's, stupid It's fine. Yes. It's fine. Yes. Yep. I I really do think that the Superman speech is like very bad and like only because it reminds me of like the misdirection hand waving that we get in politics like every day. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's even worse because one of the one of the other reasons why I think it's bad is because for the first four issues of this series, um, Clark was talking about how, and he even does it at the beginning of this series. About how, or of this issue, I should say, about how heroes, like, he literally says, what I learned from being raised by the Kents is that a hero should not show vulnerability or whatever, whatever he says, mm-hmm. you know, which again is like, I keep saying it, but to me that, that, it, that is not the lesson that the Superman that I know would have learned from the Jonathan Kent that I he know, also you know what I mean? call them the Kents. He would call them Malaha. Yeah, did he? I don't. I I'm not looking at the speech but, but, but right I feel now. Like but in general, when Tom King has him refer to that stuff, he refers to it very clinically, and that's just not okay. a Superman is. Yeah, and that's just that's been a problem with this whole series. The the sort of clinical nature weighed against like a, a clinical approach to some very serious stuff, and then like all of a sudden a goofy bit of humor, you know. There's none of that works at all for me, but but the 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 fact that Clark is always saying, uh, you know, we're supposed to, we're not supposed to show weakness. We're we we can't because then people will live in fear or whatever. That to me is not, you know, um, I'm gonna kiss Grant Morrison's ass again. But the Superman to me is the one that embraces, uh, you know, weakness and fear and and shows people that it's okay to be afraid and that. That you know they're they're protected, but also you know, I feel like there's there's more layers there. Like like the real Superman that I know is not the one who's like, no, we need to be this, uh, you know, emotionally locked up at all times. You know what I mean? And then then he goes on to give this speech about sanctuary, 
where he talks about, no, here, he, here's how it really is. And it's kind of the opposite of what he's been saying all along. But there's nothing that's been done to really change his mind in the story. You know what I mean? There's no work done that, like, explains how he gets from A to B emotionally. Like, now I'm okay talking about Sanctuary. Now it is important to talk about it, mm-hmm. you know? O- other than, oops, I got caught by my wife. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Am I am I wrong? Am I like misreading that? It seems like he turns on a dime. I agree with that. Yeah, but but I think th- I think the speech is exactly what what um, Zach says too. Where there's like there's a sense of like self importance and like um oh how do I put this? There's the same sort of sense that like. We're gonna hand wave away uh, potential human rights crimes, or like, right. you know, all the all the bad parts of what we deal with, so that you don't have to see it. But it happens in the background, and you all know it. But we're not really going to, you know, we, we're just gonna do our business, and and it, it is a little weird on that level. But but I did like some things that happened during that speech, like the shot, uh, the beautiful shot of shining night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a really nice page. That whole sequence where it's showing different heroes, uh, sort of in the background against this overwrought speech, yeah. you know? Um, uh, I also think, I also actually thought for once the Batgirl and Harley stuff was pretty decent there's one glaring omission to that what's what's that Lay so on when me. barbara goes to bruce to try and get skeets from him and he allows mm-hmm. it there's a panel where first of all clayman was totally using laura prepon as his uh babs model here <laughs> and she says fine <laughs> really cool that's cool thank you batman you rock Oh, that's yeah. That's total Tom King. That's like how Tom King and his wife talked to one another. It's so fucking bad. It's Barbara's <laughs> never sounded like that ever, and uh, I felt like it was just. There were a couple of moments in Barbara's speech throughout here that were obnoxious in that same way. Um, I sort of liked the Commander Steele interview section because it. Oh yeah, it, <laughs> we got to talk about like that. It was like by far the most meta commentary on superhero deaths you've ever seen in a in a comic. Mm-hmm. Like saying how you know how he died and then he was back, and uh, you know maybe he'll be back again, maybe not. You know, um, yeah, and perfect to have of, like a C lister giving yes. that. You know, yeah, big blackest night call yeah. out there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, also, uh, uh, the bit with the projector was dumb. Yes, it was. I thought that was at that Saved by the Bell episode where the guy <laughs> goes to the school to shoot the anti-drug PSA, but tries to get Zach to smoke pot with him. Yeah. Uh, Booster and Ted touch bottles. They do. They, there's so oh, much I'm tension in those pages. Oh, never he's... mind. What? Nothing. I was going to say, say something. Say inappropriate. It, say no, I'm not. I'll say okay, off fine. the air. Sorry, listeners. Sorry, it'll just be the stinger yeah, anyway. Content. 
Um, <laughs> I did sort of like the idea that Booster and Ted had a dumb idea that actually worked. Like, yes. that's a fun Booster and, and, and uh, Blue Beetle thing to, to do. You know, you know what you know what I liked about that moment, that? And, <laughs> and this is unintentional on King's part. But when 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 Booster was saying that, and Ted was like, "This is the dumbest idea ever," I was like, "Oh my god, it this is going to end up being the stupidest thing ever," uh-huh. you know. And then and then in the end, it was it was like a, a workable moment, yeah. you know. It it ended up not being. It was it was kind of a nice nice way to go with that, and so. But it was one of those things where, like, oh god, this is just going to be Tom King's stupid booster again. Yeah. I, I thought this was fine. I mean, again, not the greatest thing in the world, but like, honestly, the, th- this issue was like a breath of fresh air compared to that flaming turd that the that the last issue was. But Zach, I do agree for the most part with all your points. Um. I also did not like the Harley Quinn confessional at the end. Oh, that was yeah, that's just like that overdone. Yeah. She she's already had that basic confessional exactly. already in the yeah. series. Um so do you guys think that Booster figured out how all those characters are going to really be dead? Or are they still going to be dead? Well, as of right now, we only know that the Wally body okay, isn't. Sure. All right. Yeah, right. right. But doesn't it seem logical that it'll be all of them? All of them? Well, I don't know, because I feel like some. So, I mean, are we supposed to assume that's Wally walking on the beach picking up the rose? I don't know because it's a, okay. It's a red glove, right? Yeah. But I don't know. Is that Wally? I, I I was gonna ask you guys who you thought See, that was. I took that more of um, maybe being something about poison ivy, with like a plant washing ashore. Well, that that rose is one of poison ivy's roses, but like, who's the hand picking it I, up? To be honest, dude, I didn't even I didn't even really consider that, which is dumb of me. I I feel like again, this is like leaning towards the the theories or rumors that Wally is the murderer. Yeah. Somehow. If that's the case, that's even dumber somehow. <laughs> well, I guess I guess uh it remains to be seen whether this comic totally redeems itself or it can't totally redeem itself. No, I I know, I know. I know. So are we halfway through now? We well, are over halfway through, yeah. Yeah, it's nine issues, right? Or did they add one? I think it was eight and I they added one. I think it's still nine. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we do, uh, starting next week, have the beginning of the Batman Flash crossover that ties in. That's right. The price. The price. <laughs> the price. <laughs> Um, a lot of, a lot of like sort of heroes in crisis-y catch-up stuff happening this week across the comic books. I think we'll probably talk a little bit more about, about that as we go, but 
really quick before we move off of Heroes in Crisis, um, CBR reported today that this issue teases Tom King's next limited series. Yeah, the King said that that he like there's a part of this that he wants to explore in more detail. Any guesses what that is? More sex and murder. I'm gonna say it's Shining Night. Uh, yeah, I think that's a safe guess. Stay away from Shining Night, please. It, it will please, not Tom. be. It's... <laughs> please don't do it. Well, that brings us to Justice League Annual number one. Plotted by Scott Snyder and James Tynion the Fourth, written by James Tynion the Fourth, illustrated by Daniel Sampier. And um, this is a big issue, guys. A lot happens here. I really, really, really liked this a lot. Yeah, you had said that in a text to us, Zach, that this was yeah. a particular favorite of yours. Vince, what did you think? <clears throat> yeah, it was... Um... <laughs> Zach, what were, your, what were your exact words? I don't remember. It, it uh, totally uh, redeems this <laughs> series again, or something like well, that. Well, no, I, I think I, again. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, like, I, I, I was thinking like how weird it is that like the Justice League era Tynion has been so wordy. Because I don't feel like he was like that on tech, and maybe. I'm just misremembering. I just don't remember that. I don't think he was that. I, I never had that feeling. No, I, didn't, they, I never had that feeling. There were moments like I like maybe uh, some of those clay fa- kind of clay face backstory type stuff that were particularly wordy, but yeah. But on the whole, no. I think we I think we talked about at the time how it was such a step forward because of that. Right. I think and, one. I think the more he digs into lore, the more he tends to. To yeah, go that way, and I, and I also have to say this was one of the first books that I read. I read it several days ago, so I wasn't crunched to read it. I probably took maybe about thirty minutes to read it because I was doing other things at the time too, mm-hmm. and maybe that played into some of my the fact that I was able to enjoy it more because I wasn't feeling crunched and like, oh my gosh, this comic's taking me a half hour to read. I still have ten more to read, um, but. I thought that the lore dumps were a lot more enjoyable, um, a lot more compelling. I thought the character beats were a lot better. The stakes felt, uh, the stakes were good. Mm-hmm. This felt like, I mean, they, they build this as kind of like an event and an issue. And in a lot of ways, this was honestly like probably more compelling and enjoyable than like all of no justice put together this was like i don't know i I like no justice a lot that's fine i i feel i feel like i feel like this did this was basically like the sequel to no justice and i feel like it it did all that no justice did as well and did it in one issue which impressed me quite a bit Yeah, I agree. This was a lot of fun. Um, I'm loving the inclusion of Starman mm-hmm. in this this iteration of Starman in all of this. 
it's really injecting something into the, the what we think of as the normal and and so is um so is Hawk Girl, so is Martian Manhunter. But it's it's really injecting something into kind of as like a salve to the problems that we've had with Justice League over the last couple of years, which is that the the roster feels too samey or you know, if, if there's ever a tertiary character that gets added to the team or comes in contact with them, they don't get as much to do. Whereas I feel like I feel like those side characters are the focus of this series. And and that's what I like about it. And I feel like this issue is is the best example of that. Yeah. Um, I've, I've definitely, I've said this before and it's not a very like hot take or anything, but this all, it gives me major Hickman Avenger vibes. Mm. I I can see that for sure. Um, I like this issue quite a bit. I, uh, I think the part of the reason the info dump felt more, um, palatable this time is because it's the first time that I think the info dump has been essential to the basic plot. Like, so much of the info dumps we've gotten recently have been sort of tangential to what's going on in the main book. Like, you know, all the, even the stuff with John Jones and being kidnapped coming to Earth and all that, that's all interesting in the grand scheme of things, but didn't really affect that issue or what was happening in that uh, arc all that much the info dump stuff here is directly related to what's happening on the page so you're interested in reading it because you want to understand what you're looking at right now it's not taking you out of the action it's filling in the action does that make sense mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I think that that's a, a big thing that this issue had going for it um, it also really set up somehow even bigger stakes for these for these teams <laughs> i'm so baffled at where this is going <laughs> yeah go on go on you know, uh, i mean that's kind of where i want to where, where, where i want to talk about here like you know they they essentially just predicted the death of the multiverse i yes so they talk about we had Oh, go ahead, Vince. I was just—I was just saying. Uh, they talk about like bursting the source wall opening and how open and how all these worlds are careening towards their doom. You know, <laughs> and I'm thinking like, where do we possibly go from here? Yeah, <laughs> we we get we get um, Ganthet and and Highfather saying they assemble the crew essentially. <laughs> So yeah, the, well, the quintessence, which is like something that hasn't been in DC for like a long time, and then the new gods just get doing. Yep, and 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 <laughs> not only the new gods, their planets too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which I want to touch on this later, but like, do you think this is the start of like the new gods yes. reboot? Uh, also. Uh, Keen-eared listeners all over the country could hear three boners pop when characters from the Multiversity showed up in this issue as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good it's good. And I have to say, uh, for a guy I've never really thought about before, 
Daniel Sampier did a nice job with this issue. This looks really good. I don't know where this Daniel Sampier came from. Um, <laughs> it's the same Daniel Sampier as always. No, it looks so <laughs> much different. Uh, I okay. think so. All right. I, I think it looks much better. I think, I'm not saying it looks different. I just think he's he's maybe figured something out here. No, I think it looks like this looks more like I would need to see like who the other creators are, but like this feels so much more in line with like Jorge Jimenez's work. Like, mm. like there are panels where I would almost could be tricked into thinking it is Jimenez. Um. Yeah, a lot of these layouts are really nice. I also feel like just hopping off of Sam here for one second. I, I, I was reminded when flipping through about the sort of like heaven that John creates for Kendra and mm. how that is a really great concept and a really problematic one. And, <laughs> and I love, I love everything about it. Yeah. Again, a really fun idea for this issue. Um, I really like this. I like this a lot. Way more than I expected to. If only all these, if only all the decompressed Justice League issues could be just one oversized issue instead of like a four issue <laughs> arc. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> Um, um, I guess some other big, we haven't seen the Spectre in a while, have we? I don't believe so. Yeah, when, when was the last time we saw the Spectre? Probably, um, Trinity of Sin, Phantom Stranger, anytime yeah, after that? Uh, yeah, he was in, um, Batman oh, Eternal. Yes, that's oh, right, yeah. yeah, the, the, uh, what's his name wrote that part. The, the like Gotham oh, by yeah, Night or whatever. That was yeah. Good yeah. Shit. Yep. If you it say was. so. <laughs> um. I, I continue to be blown away by like, okay, so Perpetua, right? Mm-hmm. When when they say that Perpetua created this, what did they say? This world or this universe? This the multiverse before the mu- our multiverse. <laughs> so are they ta- are they talking about pre flashpoint? <laughs> What's so they can't they can't, they can't be, be right. No. What would be so fucking funny about that is that, uh, like in the rebirth special, Jeff Johns killed Pandora, and we're just introducing yeah. like Super Pandora. <laughs> Yeah, but but I mean, don't like that's that's one thing about shared universe comics. When you say that I created the multiverse before this one, metatextually, I immediately think of the pre-Flashpoint multiverse. See, that's how sick that's how sick this whole thing is. You know, to me is I I just think that this is like this is getting to like galaxy brain territory. 
where like Jeff John <laughs> said there are 52 Earths and that's normal brain. And then genius brain is Scott Snyder be like, no, it's a dark multiverse that that is that is way bigger than all of that. And then Tiny in his galaxy brain, and he's saying there was a multiverse before this multiverse. <laughs> but then, but then it's like, oh, how about fifty-two multiverses? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Um. I did think that this issue very interestingly and sort of for the first time in a little while very briefly linked up Justice League Dark and Justice League Odyssey also, uh, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. Yep, and Titans. Yeah. And, uh, uh wait, did you, you said Dark I and did, Odyssey, yes. yeah. And Titan. okay, yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, we haven't gotten very much of that, which I was thinking about this a little bit when I was reading this, how um, I feel like the promise of these kind of like overarching overarching narrative um, like frameworks never quite pay off in the all the ways that you would like. Like I, I, they are definitely paying off on their story beats in huge ways. But the the promise of like the the hall of justice and everybody hanging out and interacting and that kind of interplay between the titles, I feel like hasn't really been fully realized yet. And, and this issue, I think kind of called that into called that to attention for me. Yeah. Just because the plot has been so much the driving force. And I wonder if part of that is also just, um, Justice League Odyssey being so delayed that if they had to mm-hmm. let the folks kind of do their own thing for a while before coming back together so they could let Odyssey get caught up. Yeah. Um, Which, uh, yeah, I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later. This week was the last Williamson yep. issue. Mm. Yeah. So let's do this. Let's take a little break right now. And we'll be back in just a minute with more Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with part two of our show. And that means it is time for Mysteries of Love in Space. That's my Pigs in Space impression for any uh, Muppet Show fans <laughs> out there. Um, so this is DC's 80-page, 10-buck valentine's day spectacular and uh i'm just going to quickly read the sort of creative teams and we'll talk about some of the stories we liked or didn't like but we get an apocalyptic love story by james tynan and jesus marino old scars fresh wounds by kyle higgins and and uh cn tormey um blackwood blackwood heart by saladin ahmed and max dunbar galentine's day by cecil castellucci and elena casagrande uh 
GPS I Love You by Aaron Gillespie and Max Rayner. Crushed by uh, Andrea Shea and Amanse Nahuopan. Nahuopan, sorry. Glasses by Jeff Loveness and Tom Grummet. And then a, a nice throwback installation here. Uh, the Planet Pendulum by Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski. So, uh, why don't we do this? What's, what was everyone's favorite story from this? Oh, man. There were a, there were a few I really liked. I don't know if I can pick a favorite. Um, my favorite was the New God story, and my least favorite was the New God was story. That's all, <laughs> all I read. Oh, <laughs> These are so long. This one's really good, though. There was some fun in this. Can can I say this? I liked, I liked every story, except. Can I guess can the I lowest guess one? one? Well, I just spoiled I it. it. Oh, go for it. Um, no, yes, I didn't. you did. You you said I liked every story except, and then I said, "Can I guess?" And I didn't hear what you said. Okay. All right, um, all right. Space cabby. No, I liked that one a lot. Her in space. Uh, the the Spike yes. Jones movie, Her in Space. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, no, the the only the only one I didn't care for that much, and it's not because it was bad, but the Lois Lane and Superman one just felt like such well worn territory. That that one was sweet though. There was some sweetness to it. It, it was fine. Yes. The, yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that like, that's a story I've seen. Before See, I, and I felt you know, like Galentine's Day was one I'd seen before. Eh, yeah. Well, that's because you're sexist. Huh. Um, <laughs> I bet you've never seen a space cab driver try to fuck his taxi, though. <laughs> this book was so horny, yeah. you guys. Zach, you need to go back and read these because you won't believe how horny some of these are. I bet I could believe it. <laughs> space cab. He tries to. Seriously, it's, tries to lay pipe in his cat in, in the yeah. tailpipe. Have you man. seen the movie Her, Zach? No, but I'm I mean, familiar this is with essentially it. Her uh, in space, as I've said multiple times now. Um, and and the bizarre Bizarro Fox Bizarro does fuck Zach. Well, actually, Bizarro no, fucks. Bizarro abstains. <laughs> no, Bizarro. He's going to snap off now because I felt that, that, that turned him on so much that Bizarro, uh, Bizarro sex scene. Um, oh boy, uh, the Kilowog story was kind of fun. Oh, the Kilowog story was like heartbreaking, yeah. man. I guess, I guess heartbreaking. Oh man, fun. you said Bizarro abstain. <laughs> That's so. Good. The crush one was was. Um, also a little heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Like I was legitimately surprised at the twist in that one. Yeah, I would say my least favorite one in terms of just like enjoyment of reading it, not like like the Space Cabby one is bonkers, but it was fun to read bonkers. Was the first one, the Apocalypse and Love Story one. It was yeah. fine, but it was it wasn't all that exciting. Um like that was maybe the most the most of a slog to get through. Mostly because I wanted 
there to be a story that was the cover of this. We haven't talked about that. That would have been <laughs> so the, good. The cover for those that haven't seen it. It's Superman. Is his back turned and he says, I don't get it. What does Lois see in him? And Lois Lane says, Dark Side is the love of my life. <laughs> so I kept waiting for that to happen in this issue, and it didn't, and that was very sad. Yeah, that's a great cover. That's fantastic. Who drew that, by the way? I couldn't uh, figure out. You're going to punch yourself in the dick for this. Wait, wait, wait. Now tell me. Joel Jones, baby. No. Is, according to DCComics.com, she is the credited cover artist. Huh. Okay. I mean, it's good. I couldn't find a credit. Huh. Yeah, it doesn't look like there is one. If you go to DCComics.com and look up the issue, it says cover by Joel Jones. Mm-hmm. I believe you. So. Yeah, it's, it's just weird that cover. it's not in the issue. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if I could... Oh, man. I wonder how much that would cost to get that... Buy that original art. Anyway. It was fun, though. I feel like the last couple of these one-shots, DC's been realizing they should be more fun and has made them mm-hmm. more fun. Yeah, they've definitely like Nuclear Winter. They're definitely right? uh, Nuclear Winter. That was the last one. Yes, Nuclear yeah. Winter was really good. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely dialing up the quality of these for sure. And I feel like they've also done something where they've they've had some creators do a bunch of them now. I feel like Jeff Loveness has been involved in the last couple of them, and uh, I want to say maybe Cecil Castellucci had a story in that one too. I don't know, but mm-hmm. it's nice to see them sort of breaking in some talent this way. It's smart. It's good. Yeah. Um, anything else to say about this? Um, I mean, I guess the, the friend of the show, though he doesn't listen, uh, Walter Richardson was, was, contemplating buying this and i ended up telling him you know like the ten dollar price tag is what it is but like there are enough quality stories in here that i think it's worth it i honestly think ten dollars is not a bad price for this uh would you would you disagree i mean i guess you know if it's an 80 page book and you figure a 20 page book Costs you three ninety nine, then it's, yep. it's it's a value in that sense. Um, plus, you know, see, trying to have space cabby fuck a tailpipe is uh, priceless. <laughs> so, <laughs> Zach, let's oh, go back and read man. that story. Okay, I will. That's okay. It's like I can either read this 80-page giant or I can read four other issues to talk about with you, Yahoos. So, <laughs> Yahoos. <laughs> that's what I said. Uh, is, that, is that a Midwest? That's like a strictly Midwestern phrase, isn't it? I, I guess What Zach so. is really trying to say is that uh, he'll read this after he's beaten Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. <laughs> I will. Yeah. 
I'll need something to fill the hole in my life. Uh, trust me, lots of characters in this trying to fill holes as well. So, oh. uh, so I... our last sort of discussion of the night before we get to a little micro reviews is uh, the double shot of the Flash sixty three and the Flash annual number two. Do you guys have anything specifically to say about Flash sixty three? Uh, how about that Chaken cover? Oh, the the variant. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. It is. Pretty I I did a double take when I realized that it was shaken. No one yeah. takes out. <laughs> well, they I kind have a of mirror are. master's got a bit of a yeah. bulge though. Yeah. <laughs> something something objects in a mirror uh, may appear closer. Yeah. Ah. It's <laughs> a meatloaf joke. Um. No, it's not. Um, I don't think so, other than, like, did the very end of this issue, I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to look at it. Oh, yeah, the very end of this issue has the Heroes in Crisis stuff where Barry finds yes. out that. and then he tells, well, um, he tells uh, Iris about it. No, 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 no I that's think that's the next actually, That's the end, yeah. Oh, sorry, okay. Yeah. All right, yeah, so I have nothing really to say. It was a good issue, but the annual is where we got to talk about yeah, the yeah. annual's the Gabagool. Yes, it is. First of all, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Scott Collins. I say this every time Scott Collins is a Flash issue, but Collins is one of the most important Flash artists of the, of the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to see he's still doing this stuff. Um, this issue also, interestingly, leads into Young Justice, number one, storyline-wise. Like yeah. Bart mm-hmm. literally says, "Like, gotta go." Young Justice is happening off page, and uh... <laughs> which is weird because Young Justice was like what two or three weeks yeah. ago at this point. But but I feel like the only people who care about where Bart came from are the people who would also read the Flash Annual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which That's when. True. When did he first show up? Was it at the end of that? Was it the end of number 50? Or around about or, there? Or the where end. the end of that arc where they were in the future? I think so. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was just a last page reveal, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. It's been a little while. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay. Um, yeah, it's... It's really funny. I I did want to bring up how Collins kind of apes and mimics the styles of the things that he's tying into. So like that first page with um, Bart feels like very much in line with the look and feel of Young Justice. But then that next double page spread of Wall is totally here. Who's in crisis? Yeah, like 100 percent. I, I just thought that was he really does a interesting. Great job throughout this issue. Yeah, yeah. It was the Flash Fifty. It was the end of Flash War. Uh huh. Okay. Um. So we talked a little bit during the Heroes and Diapers discussion about um, the possibility of Wally being the murderer in Heroes in Crisis, and I feel like this issue would be rendered totally weird and obsolete if he was. Because everybody is just so heartbroken over this guy. 
and he's painted as this really wonderful character, and I don't see how you can make a dead guy do a heel turn. It, it would just be a really weird way to go. Yeah, especially because at New York Comic Con, which which ha- happened right after Heroes in Crisis number one came out, William. I don't know. Can you say this? Can you say this? What, 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 don't no, say this. No, I'm, I can say, say this. What? Okay. I, I said to Josh Williamson, I was like, you know, it must be hard to have like you know books other than your own take some of your characters off the table. And he said, like, oh, we've been planning this for a long time. It's all part of the bigger story. So I, I don't. It just it would seem weird to me to have Williamson doing this stuff. If that wasn't if that was going to be undone, someplace else, right? Yeah, fool me once, <laughs> fool me twice, fool me three times, a lady. Um. So there are a couple of parts of this issue I did want to talk about. The first was, it was nice to see um, Barry really mourn Wally. Because I think that their relationship has been so intrinsically tied to Rebirth since it started that he needed to have an over-the-top reaction to Wally's death. And Williamson gave him that. Similarly... Mm -hmm the reaction that Iris had was perfect. And it was really a very emotional, very beautiful issue in that way. Yeah, this was, this was a good one. We got some Godspeed back. Godspeed's back. He's good and bad again. Godspeed, Mina. (laughs) um, What's her name from the Justice League of China? Wallace, they're yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Um, can I talk about that very last page? Well, get, can we wait yeah. two minutes to talk about that? Um, yeah, sure. I just want to say that Wallace talks to Barry in a very similar way that Commander Steele did from Heroes in Crisis. About ah. just sort of, you know, superheroes come back, it's not a big deal. And then Iris kind of says the same thing to Barry also. Everybody this week mm-hmm. is, is not believing in superhero death. Yes, very very good to undermine uh, your <laughs> storytelling in that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that the idea is supposed to be that it's reinforcing that this one is going to stick. But we know it's not. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess. <laughs> all right. Last page, Vince. Go for it. Yeah. Have you ever? Have you guys ever been on like uh, forums or um, Reddit or like w- websites of ill repute where people do those bubble images where they try to make people look naked by? Uh, no. By, you've never by seen what? that. I don't think so. The, keep what? Talking, keep talking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. I, I don't know. Okay, well, uh, I'll send you some pictures after after the show. But there's this forum thing that I've seen where like people people Photoshop like bubble images around 
uh, celebrities in like bathing suits or whatever, and if they put the bubbles just right to like cover up the ba- bathing suit, you still don't see anything, but it somehow makes the celebs look more naked. I don't engage in any of this. Sure. I'm not saying I support this. <laughs> I'm just saying like I've seen it before, and this final page looks like. First of all, it looks like a naked man standing in front of uh, Godspeed. Um, And then it looks like somebody did the bubble trick on it to make him look more naked. (laughs) Oh, man. Real real irony poisoned internet heads will know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Guys who have spent way more time on the internet than apparently you guys. I spent a lot of time on the internet, man. (laughs) Do do we have any idea who this is? I kind of thought it would maybe just be like Hunter Zolomon again because he's been I don't know yeah I have no idea he looks way too beefy to be Hunter Zolomon yeah Um, what about that gauntlet that uh, that was was a blue gauntlet and I thought like yeah who's a blue speedster Max Mercury but that's not Max Mercury. See, I thought it was maybe the John Fox Flash from the future. Ah. He had like a lot of blue tones. And he had 90s gauntlets. If that's who it is, kudos to you, man. It's a deep pull. It almost looked like like an anti-monitor gauntlet. Oh, damn. But I know they said it was a speedster. This guy has blue speech bubbles, which I think we have maybe seen before and maybe had attributed to Dr. Manhattan in maybe like other things. Yeah. I'm trying to think back to other things in The Flash. Where we may have well, there was seen definitely, that. There were definitely blue speech bubbles in the button. Yeah. Yeah. Were they? They were. They were probably filled in blue, though. Yeah. I would think. Yeah. Ooh, good point about the blue. Yeah. Damn. I wish I was your lover. <laughs> well, you've got to give. <laughs> Oh man, you guys! This was oh taking's too easy. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. I think we're getting some bubble images right now. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm gonna send you is just yeah, <laughs> naked bubble image. Look at that. What am I looking at? Look in the chat. Yeah. Yeah. That's who I was talking about. Oh. Okay. Did you say his name? Yeah. Oh. I must have missed that. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. I was too busy looking at bubble people. (laughs) Yeah, that's um, John Fox, the future flash of the 27th century, according to... DC database. It kind of looks like him. It does. 
Uh, Zach, you had said in a text to us the other day that this book really reminds you of just the antithesis of Tom King's Batman and how the pairing yeah. of this and Batman seems intentional because one is so heartfelt and uh, the other is so heartless. Yeah. It it is it, and both are like tracking for the hundred issue mark. Both both have been tied really deeply into rebirth. You could I feel like you could argue like Flash and Batman are like the 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 two sides of the rebirth coin, you know? The two sides of the rebirth button. <laughs> It's just yeah. funny how how closely associated they are in my mind. <laughs> I think that's really astute, though. Um, yeah, that's really interesting how how it ended up that way. Yeah, um, I also think that we've been noticing a trend in DC lately, which is that sometimes there are these arcs that seek to fill in a lot of knowledge not through like info dumps, but through these little side stories. And so the last couple of issues of the flash have been sort of him grappling with these other forces. Right. And now that's all in good, but then you get an issue like this that has nothing to do with that. And you realize how much better the book is when it's not just trying to fill stuff in like that. Mm-hmm. And that's actually my big fear with Shazam right now. I just read today. I'm put together the, the latest soliciting, DC column and uh, how uh, the it looks like this whole Shazam arc is them taking that train to different areas of that like underground where they were and how mm. I just feel like that's not where I want that story to go and so I I hope that they learn from the Flash's mistake and don't spend too much time just like filling in those areas, which are nice to know about, but don't really further the overall story that much. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. All right, well, we have we have three little micro-reviews to do, but first we're going to do our list. So this week on the good list is The Books of Magic. The okay list is Batgirl, Hex Wives, and the Teen Titans Annual, although Vince would like to say Teen Titans Annual is very okay. It almost <laughs> Uh, Almost the bad good. list is Detective Comics and Batman Beyond, and the New Age of Heroes list has the silencer on it. <laughs> so let's do this in a little bit different order. Vince, you want to talk about Wonder Woman sixty three? Tell us about it. Ah, uh, yeah. Did you? you okay, but did both of yes. you read this? Was it not delightful? Yes, it was. This was the best, like side story issue we've gotten from DC in a long time. Yeah. It was um so so basically like three mythical animals like a goat boy uh a pegasus a a pegasus and a minotaur. Who we've seen and we've seen in them in a previous issue of G Willow Wilson's Wonder Woman, I think. But now they're now they're they're stuck on Earth with her, and they're trying to like navigate Washington D.C. Essentially, they try to go and eat at a restaurant. They basically get kicked out for being animals, 
And it's it's really, I mean, it, this issue is really not much more than that. Like they bump into Ferdinand. Ferdinand also again, it's very horny. I think they're gonna yeah. get it on the two the two minutes are. Um, but it's just really funny throughout. Uh, Emmanuel Lupacino's art is really playful, really awesome. Awesome stuff. Lots of humor in the art as well. Lots of great facial expressions. Lots of great work done with these mythical animal creatures. Um, just a really offbeat, funny, interesting issue of Wonder Woman that, like you said, it's like a side story. And DC doesn't let that happen too often anymore. And so this this one felt special to me. Do you know what this reminded me of a lot? Um, 10 out of 10 issue of uh, Ladies Night, <laughs> whatever. No, no, but that's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good call. That's a good, very good call. No, it reminded me of like one of the, like a, a more kind of just like slice of life issue of something like Fables. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, even the art style really kind of, like, had a Mark Buckingham kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Good call. Yeah, this is super fun. And it's nice to see Luke Kino on interiors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Zach, talk to us about the Terrifics number 12. Okay. Um, well, so I, if I'm not mistaken, this is the penultimate Jeff Lemire issue, he correct? He's all he's up to yeah. 14. Okay. Okay. Um, so I really liked this issue a lot. Um, this is like the getting the band back together issue. Um, and uh, there were just a lot of like character moments that I really liked. I really liked the bit with um, Plastic Man mm-hmm. and his son. That was really sweet and fun. Um, the part with uh, Metamorpho I thought was like a little tragic and frustrating, but also understandable. Um, I thought his motivation for changing back to Metamorpho could have been fleshed out a little bit better. Yeah. I think so too, but it, it felt kind of inevitable. Um, it, it was just maybe a little rushed, um, but you know, demands this issue, this arc has like two issues left. Um, and then I thought the phantom girl stuff was fun. She's just like a fun, cool character that I hope lives on a little bit after this. So I guess she will like Jin Loon. Gene Yang will be writing her at least for the foreseeable future. Um, but yeah, this this issue is, I think, honestly, kind of like putting the series back to like in the direction that I always kind of wanted it to be, but it has never really been, which is this like fun multiverse hopping character drama thing. Yeah. Yeah. You got to give a shout out to the great Beatles-esque cover by Doc Shander, too. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. Yeah, and and of course Bogdanovic art always always wonderful. 
the the basketball game between Plastic Man and his son was so much fun artistically. Yeah, it was. Although I don't think they were following all the rules of. I think at one point Plastic Man tries to tackle his son. <laughs> not not allowed. Not allowed. Fucking sports police over here. I don't even care if they cancel sports. That's wild. <laughs> uh, and I'll talk for a second about Justice League Odyssey number five. Um, two things this issue did. It sort of gave us the reveal of what Darkseid was planning the whole time, which was uh, to essentially create a new apocalypse across the entire multiverse, which is pretty interesting. And we get Brainiac uh, 2 returning here. Um, and that was a character, I believe, that was solicited in the first issue and was reportedly the reason why the book was delayed was because they had to pull that character or change that character. So it's interesting to see him show up here. Um, Vince, you're currently reading Asriel stuff from the 90s. How (laughs) different is this Asriel and that Asriel? I mean, this is pretty much in line with the the Asriel, um, like the 1999 Asriel version, where he's where the comic book switches from Asriel to Asriel, Agent of the Bat. There's like a title change, I think, halfway through the series. So um, yeah, and at this point, it's pretty. At this point, it's pretty much the same character. Okay. Now, the Asriel from before was very different because uh, he was essentially a villain, right? He, he took over for Batman for, you know, several months and, like, took it way too far and was, like, like just a huge asshole and uh, ultimately ended up, you know, ended up the villain of that post-breaking-the-bat uh, arc. Um. But then, like, you know, halfway through his solo series, he decidedly becomes a hero. Batman gives him, like, a new a new uh, suit of armor, I guess you would say. And um, and from then on out, he's basically a okay. good guy. So, And that, that matches very much the depiction that we've seen in uh, Tynion's Detective and, and this one now. Okay. Because I, I honestly stopped reading Asriel stuff before that switch happened. So uh-huh. I forgot, you know, just sort of how that character lined up. Sure. Well, like I said, one day the random master will come and make me read a hundred issues of Asriel. <laughs> and I will do that. There was a line in this that I wanted to highlight for you guys. Let me see if I can find it. Um, you can keep you can keep talking amongst yourselves if you want. Uh, there was, um, there was some fun stuff in this issue. I I thought this issue was the first since maybe issue number two to really hook me on this concept. (coughs) And damn it, is my voice going to be gone? (laughs) Okay. What were we saying, Brian? What? What did you just say? Sorry. I said my voice is about to be gone. No, before that. Uh, this is the first issue since number two that sort of hooked me on this concept. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So you're you're back in. I think so. Even though it's the last issue for Williamson, I'll give Abnett a shot on it. Um, what do you think? I I don't know. It was fine, but I can't help but feel like it's the redheaded stepchild of the. Is that should, can I say that, or is that going to get me in I trouble? Think you're fine. Okay, nobody's listening. You know what I mean, though. Like it, it seems like it seems like this book has a really massive scope. We're talking about Darkseid wanting to create a new apocalypse, and yet, in the grand scheme of things, in the scheme of what's going on in the Justice League books, it feels like a blip. I don't know how serious I'm supposed to take this book. You know, especially with the the creative turmoil. See. I don't know how much turmoil is there. We haven't heard much about why Williamson stepped off of it, but I wonder if Williamson's going to follow the new gods now. That like, yeah, I don't know, I'm just I'm I'm totally guessing. I have no inside information whatsoever. But it just seems to me like maybe he's following that part of the story with Darkseid and the new gods, and leaving this part to Abnett. I'm about to break it all out, all, all open for you guys. Yep. You ready? Yep. Page seven. War. This ghost sector, as you call it, it is a ticking clock to doom. Oh, my God. Boom. There it is. <laughs> what? Wow. You just blew my mind, Zach. Doomsday clock solved. Call him the Delphonics. Didn't didn't he blow <laughs> your mind this time? Yep. Well, Zach, lay it lay it out further for us. What, is, but, what does that uh, mean? <laughs> um, something something other box. Um, <laughs> otter box. It's uh, what you otter put box. around your mother box to protect it. <laughs> Uh, so, somebody get me a pop socket for my yeah. mother box. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all I got. I did. I did kind of like this issue, mostly uh, artistically. I feel like Dia Domenico is a fantastic fit for this yes. book. Hmm. Um. It looked so good. Um. But honestly, I, I I agree that this was maybe the best issue since the first issue, in my opinion. But um, it's it's still I don't know. It came pretty close to winning me over. But and now you know, writer change. We'll see what happens. I thought the Brainiac reveal was pretty yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, that does it for this week, guys. Um, what's coming up next week, boys? Oh, man. There's some good stuff next week. Um, let's see. I had it. Okay. Here we go. All right. <laughs> Adventures of the Super Sons. Batman. That's not good stuff. Um, no, that, was, that could be good. Yeah? Oh, because it's the yeah, Williamson yeah. thing. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, it is gonna be good. It is, yeah, I'll call yeah, it right baby. now. <laughs> uh Deathstroke, Dreaming, Female Furies, yeah. guys. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Green Arrow, Green Lantern, mm-hmm. Harley Quinn. <laughs> Harley Quinn, Justice League, uh, that man and Superman 100 page super spectacular that has like the Marv Wolfman story. Uh-huh. Um, that's like from the mid 2000s or something. It's like an old story, right? But that that comes out. Um, Suicide Squad Black Files. I know Brian's itching yeah. for that one. United States of Murder Inc. and Young Justice 2. Mwah. I dig it. Be a good yeah. week. Yeah, there, there's some there's some good shit in there. There there will be at least five good comics to talk about. Let's hope so. From your <laughs> lips to Rousey's. And Zach, Zach might Zach might even read all of them. Uh, <laughs> well, if you let's not be crazy. If you want to get in touch with us before then, two thirds of us are on Twitter. I am at Brian needs a nap. Oh, and I'm at Wilker Fox. I- forgot i don't have to wait for events anymore yeah i i am at howard schultz uh howard schultz for president jesus christ um (laughs) if you want to get in touch with vince you'll find vince not abstaining and we'll see you next time (laughs) just the tips (laughs) 